It was the dawn of the podcast age, 12 years before the Earth pandemic. A dream was given form, a place where science fiction and fantasy readers could work out their differences peacefully. Our last best hope for a good read. The name of the podcast is Sword and Laser. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to pledge support. Everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. Oh, me, I'm Tom Merritt. <laughs> oh, little old me, I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Oh, this little book club? It's just Sword and Laser. This old thing. I, I'm not sure what accent I'm trying to do. I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. It could be your own accent of Belmontia. Belmontia. The beautiful land of Belmontia. The Belmontian accent has traces of Irish. <laughs> Apparently. That's <laughs> all I know how to do. Uh, anyway, uh, let's, let's jump into those quick burns. Let's do. Jan wrote, Tor.com reports that Netflix is planning to adapt Rick Reardon's The Red Pyramid, The Throne of Fire, and The Serpent's Shadow into multiple movies. Uh, the author made the announcement on social media. Tor had this to say, the trilogy follows siblings Carter and Sadie Kane as they discover both their connection to ancient Egyptian pharaohs and new magical abilities that enable them to fight evil. Along the way, the duo encounters various creatures and gods from Egyptian mythology that either aid or hinder them on their journeys. Uh, it's a bit unclear, writes Jan, if this is just an option to make the movies or if Netflix is taking already more concrete steps. Let's hope it's not another project that gets stuck in development hell. Uh, and yes, usually when Netflix uh, gets in on something, they make it. Uh, they they, are, they are not it. known yeah. for taking options and never developing something. They're just like, here's here's millions of dollars. Yeah. I'm doing the make it rain symbol. We'll, uh, just, we'll uh, only have, out. like if it's a TV show, like we might only do two seasons, you know, depends on what the data says, but we'll pay you. We'll pay you lots of the monies. Well, that's exciting. Like I always say, I'm I'm always super stoked to get more more fantasy television. I, I loved what they did with The Witcher. Um, so anything anything along those lines, I am I'm just excited for more content. So good good on them for for picking up such a such a great series. Louis says, speaking of great series, that the title and cover reveal for the Expanse Book Nine has been made. That is over on IO9. I know Tom is Tom is really stoked. The book is going to be titled Leviathan Falls. And of course, of course, the art by Daniel Doshu, uh, as it has been. Uh, they didn't give us a date though. They said mm. definitely 2021. So, mm -hmm. you know, anytime between January 1st and December 31st, 2021, uh, the last one came out in March. My guess is that they're probably trying to aim for March, but what with pandemic and everything, you know, being uh, off its schedule, uh, they they probably either are trying to make sure they can hit a date or have to pick a little later date because of, you know, schedules being all thrown off because publishers don't like to put out their own books too near each other or near other big releases. So a lot of that thinking goes in there, which is probably why we don't have a firm date yet. Um, but I'm very excited uh, to, I don't know. I'm, I'm both excited that they have announced it. Can't wait to read it once it has a date, but also sad that this will be the last a little book. Sad. 
Yeah, I mean, they are they are definitely holding firm. They said uh, not a chance as to whether they'd be penning any prequels um, to this series. So this is the last book, no prequels. However, there will be one more Expanse novella coming out after Leviathan Falls. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a little more content coming for you out there. Yeah, like a coda, right? you know, to the symphony. Uh, one little last bit. Uh, I have to say, I am very much anticipating the collection that they will put out. They also confirmed that, yes, they intend to put out a collection of the entire series uh, of novellas and short stories. Uh, the only exception being there was one that was part of the Expanse RPG. That wouldn't be in the, in the collection, but uh, there will be that collection. I intend to just read them all again. Once once the ninth one's out and it's done, I'm just going to go back and start all over from the beginning. And this time I'll be able to like read all of the short stories and novellas in the proper in order. Yeah, because mm-hmm. even though they came out in the proper order, sometimes I didn't find out about them until I'm like, oh, wait, I need to go back and put, plug that in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think the one I'm most interested in reading is the uh, Naomi backstory. Mm. I think that's the one that I, or mm-hmm. Amos, there was an Amos one too, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're both really good. The Naomi backstory is, is great. The Amos one was fulfilling because mm-hmm. you, you kind of know so many questions, but it also was what I thought, right? It didn't, I, I don't want to say it's what I expected because that makes it sound like it was boring and, and it wasn't, but I was like, oh yeah, okay, this fits. This is kind of what I thought it might be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know a lot more than I do because you have read all the books um, to date. I've still only read read, uh, read Leviathan Wakes, so you have a lot more insight into TV what's show. been. Yeah, and I've seen the TV show, but you have a lot more insight into what's actually been revealed over time. That's not necessarily in the novellas, but is revealed over the course of the of the actual series. So, yeah, I'm 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 just happy for them. Congrats! Me too. That's, that's a what really achievement. big achievement yeah. for sure. Absolutely. From from the the people we booked because they were nice enough to help us book George R. R. Martin to like dominant sci-fi titans. Uh, it's been fun. You know, just before we move on, I do have to say that they have been really amazing fans of the show and they were I mean, they've just always been really, really good guys. And they've they've been on the show multiple times. Yeah, I should clarify when I say we booked them because they helped us book George R. R. Martin. It wasn't that's the only reason it's that's how we found out about them. They're like, you know, we have our own book too. And we're like, Hey, that looks really good. Let's, let's do that too. And so what you're saying is that we discovered them. That's what you're saying. Well, we discovered I, I mean, them. We, we made I them. wouldn't say that they owe most of their success to us. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I love even joking about this because the the idea is so, <laughs> so ludicrous, ridiculous. but it really is kind of fun to say. It's like, well, if we never gave them their big break <laughs> their here big on break. sword and laser, <laughs> Where would they be now? Ah, <laughs> wouldn't say? have that big Amazon money now, would you? Uh, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, uh, it's been it's been great. It's been, and I feel privileged to to have gotten to know them early on and be able to to watch almost the entire ride there. So, well done, good job, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew P wrote in the sad news that author Terry Goodkind passed away at the age of seventy two. Uh, they did not release a cause of death, uh, but Andrew wrote, I'm sure a lot of people got their start in epic fantasy reading Wizard's First Rule. Yeah, some very kind words from from R.A. Salvatore and some other authors uh, over in this HuffPost article. Um, so yeah, 72, it's still still pretty young. So that's, uh, that's I mean, 
it's always sad when when someone passes, um, especially from the literary world that we follow so closely. Um, but to hear it so young also uh, is very difficult. So young, he was seventy two. I hope I feel well, really young. Well, that feels young. That fe- seventy two was life expectancy when I was a kid. So I still think of it as like, yeah, okay, that's about right. But you're right. Well, I'm a woman, and we just naturally live longer. So sure. to me, it just feels like he's just a wee bairn. Yeah, you know. I'm also a lot closer to seventy two. <laughs> old fart. Um, no, just kidding. That, that I just contradicted myself because I just said 72 was young and then I called you an old <laughs> fart for being me. close to 72. <laughs> I was going to so even that let that make pass. I didn't even catch that. All right. Well, um, Rush says that Stanislaw Lem's sci-fi novel, The Invincible, is being made into a video game. This is super interesting. Um, so Polish author Stanislaw Lems, this is coming from Boing Boing, uh, 1964 sci-fi thriller The Invincible is being made into a video game by Polish game company Starward Industries, saith PC Gamer. The Invincible is a 1964 hard sci-fi novel by Lem about the crew of a powerful deep space vessel that lands on the planet Regis Three and learns some hard lessons about the meaning of life. In 2021, it will also be a video game inspired by that novel developed by Starward Industries. And uh, the CEO of Starward Industries, uh, Marek Markozuski, said, yikes, I probably butchered that. Sorry. Markoszewski would be my guess, but yeah. Thank you. The Invincible, which has been secretly in the making for some time, combines a fascinating setting, iconic story, and an established non-linear gameplay Hmm. to deliver a truly unforgettable experience. He goes on to say the studio believes in the power of interactive storytelling and wants to engage gamers of all skill levels in crafting their own paths in the particular world of a distant, malevolent planet. You know, one of the hard lessons of life that I've learned is that I was kind of silly when I picked Memoirs Found in a Bathtub to be the book pick for Sword and Laser so many years ago. Do you feel like you, you, picked, you picked wrong and have permanently damaged Lem in my mind? I picked that book because I love the prologue and then I love the spy stuff. It is not his best work. And I'm like, I mean, okay, I could have picked Solaris, but some people even find that to be, you know, a little some tedious or hard to get through mm-hmm. man, the invincible or, um, the, the Siberiad. There's so many, so many good ones. Maybe we'll revisit. Maybe Lem will become one that we read twice. And I, I, I've thought about that before, but I mean, I'd be gambling a lot to make you read <laughs> Lem again. I feel, yeah, that's a, huh. I don't know how I feel about that. It feels like a challenge. Mm-hmm. In a way, I'd want to, to me. pick one that had the best chance of success. Right. Um, just another note: the team working on this game has also worked on Witcher Three, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, Dying Light, and a bunch of other really great titles. Um, Witcher Three is the game, other than World of Warcraft, that I've spent the most time in. Mm. Um, so you know, who knows? I, I don't really have a lot of time for PC gaming these days, unfortunately. Nor do I think I ever will again. <laughs> Not till you're um, seventy two. Until I'm a young 72. Um, but yeah, that, that sounds pretty, pretty rad. Good for good for them. Trike uh, noted some other sad news. Artist Ron Cobb passed away at 83. Uh, if you don't know Cobb, he designed the Nostromo and Narcissus in the movie Alien. Mm. Uh, everything mm-hmm. in Conan the Barbarian, uh, Doc Brown's DeLorean from Back to the Future, many creatures in Star Wars A New Hope, uh, The Last Starfighter's ship 
the gun star, among many other things. Wow. Uh, you've seen Ron Cobb's work, even if you didn't realize it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody, even if you haven't seen Back to the Future, knows what the DeLorean looks like from Back to the Future. Yeah, and the, not just even just the, a DeLorean, osmosis. but that DeLorean. That DeLorean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, Mara says that the U.S. Library of Congress's National Book Festival is September 25th to 27th, and of course will be virtual. It covers a wide variety of genres. Uh, so far, Mayor has found these familiar names. Some will be live, others pre-recorded. Lee Bardugo, Mary Robinette Kowal, uh, Emily St. John Mandel, Dan Brown, N.K. Jemison, and Jeff Vandermeer all nice. making appearances. Yeah, so, great, yeah. Uh, great lineup. And even if you're listening to this episode after the 27th, not all of these are live anyway. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that, that you'll be able to get on demand. And I assume they'll be making the live stuff even available to watch later as well. I really hope so. Yeah, I I, I need some. I, I would love to catch some of these some of these talks. Um, so I'm going to peruse this a little bit later and check it out. All right. Well, thank you to everybody who submitted stories to the Quick Burns. You can always add to our Quick Burns thread over at Goodreads.com/slash/sword-and-laser. Well, now it is time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Our first one comes from Beth Mitchum. Woo! We have a 260 character review. Um, this one for Elysium by Jennifer Brissett. She says, a seashell of a book spiraling around a core story, a hermit crab that tries on different styles until it finds a fitting home. Do exterior details matter or only the inner truths? Also, Good use of grep. <laughs> Beth Mitchum is an all-star. I think it's Wordsmith. 280 characters. Uh, Sorry, you you're right. It's 140. Now it's 280. It's yeah, doubled. You're but, right. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, uh, that's an achievement. These reviews are great. And not only a like, great summary of Elysium, but like poetic, too. With mm-hmm. the yeah, I really. That's. That's one of my favorite ones, I have to say. Yeah. Um, we've got a double a double header of of Beth today. So Tom, you can you can read the the next one and its intro. Yeah, it's almost like a triple header. Uh mm-hmm. Beth says, it's a great feeling to realize you already read the book club pick. It's like finding a $20 bill in your library book. Now I can go back to working on finishing Black Leopard. <laughs> uh, and then in a separate tweet. The 10,000 Doors of January, Alex E. Harrow. The story of an unbreakable love, a love that transcends death and universe. I refer, of course, to the bond between January and bad. I mean, <laughs> some other characters might like each other, too. Hashtag Hugo Awards. Amazing. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And she even gets like a humorous tone in these tweeted book reviews. How does Beth Mitchum know it? She's amazing. But that's not all. We also have a review from Tomahome. <gasps> Yay. For a non-sword and laser pick, The Wrong Stars by Tim Pratt. Easy to read space opera, some funny quips. At the end of each chapter, there was some kind of hook to read on. Many female characters and some romance. I forget why one of the characters had a plural pronoun. There's funny aliens. (laughs) Thank you. Man, Tamahome stepping up. I love it. That's like a a two-page review squeezed in there. That's great. Uh, And then we got Drake Tungsten, who said, listening to episode 98. The archives. Wow. Wow. We're at episode 394. So it's a ways back. Listening Mm -hmm. to episode 98 and heard how Veronica would donate her Star Trek paperbacks to the library. I still do that, but haven't recently. It seems like the publishers are winding down a lot of those books. 
Oh, that is sad. Yeah, I used to, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the full Sword and Laser archives, <laughs> um, I used to regularly donate um, my Star Trek paperbacks to my local library in West Hartford. Um, and that's also where I would pick up new ones. So someone else was also donating or they were buying their own. But that was those were some of my favorite books to pick up at the library there. Um and I, I've still been donating a ton of books because I think as you, as I've mentioned, I'm, I'm cleaning out my upstairs office for the nursery. So my entire bookshelf had to go. And so I had to be suddenly very, very picky about what got to stay in the house and, and what had to leave. Um, and fortunately I was able to, to donate a lot of books, um, which was, which was great. You can't really resell a lot of them because many of them are arcs. Um, so I did have some neighbors pick up. You can't resell arcs because they're not for resale. You can only like give them away to people. Um, but yeah, so that was, that made it a little difficult because that seems to be the bulk of my collection (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was hard to say goodbye to a lot of those books, but you know, they're, they're, they're things and they can be collected again in in other digital forms at some point. Episode 98 was April 16th, 2012. Wow. It was titled Stop Saying Lady Cave. <laughs> I certainly didn't come up with that title because I love saying Lady Cave. Oh, you know what? I think that was in reference to the fact that Lady mm. Mm. I see why we mm. might have said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were reading mm. The Magicians at the time as well. Wow. That was way before the show, too. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we I mean, them. Lev Grossman <laughs> really does. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. We're getting big for our britches coming yeah. up on episode 400, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My gosh, you're right. We are uh, close to episode 400. Well, speaking of books, <laughs> which is what we do for <laughs> Which is what we do on this show <laughs> every day. Every episode. <laughs> Let's get to the book of the month discussion. Uh, yes. So uh, I did a thread on Goodreads for this month's pick. It wasn't exactly oh, nice. a vote. Uh, I just wanted ideas. Got so many good ideas. Thank you to everybody who posted. Uh, all of your ideas were read. Uh, many of them have been filed away. Mo- most of them have been filed away as potential future picks. Uh, but I settled on Finder by Suzanne Palmer, uh, which was suggested first by Silvana and seconded by Trike. Uh, a bunch of other people uh, jumped in and said it sounded good to them mm-hmm. too. It's about a space repo man who's also a con artist and a thief, goes by the name Fergus Ferguson. And it just sounded like, and Silvana and Trike sort of uh, uh, affirmed this, that it's just a fun space romp. Uh, it's a space, you know, con man, repo man, trying to steal a, a ship back from somebody, uh, fun read. And everybody seemed to be in the mood for a really fun read and, and not something so weighty right now. So that's what we're doing for October. Uh, Finder by Suzanne Palmer. Suzanne Palmer is a self-described Linux geek and Red Sox fan. Oh, I, I like her even more already. I know. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And this was her first published novel. Uh, she had won a Hugo for Best Novelette in 2018, but Finder was her first full-length novel. Uh, came out in April 2019, and its sequel, Driving the Deep, is already out. Uh, it came out in May, and it's expected to Great. be a trilogy. Oh, excellent! That's so interesting because Kevin Hearn also just wrote a a um, like Repo Man. Um, 
I'm sorry, if you hear banging in the background, it's because there's a large housefly and my dog is finding great sport in crashing into pieces of furniture, including my uh, desk chair. Um, this is one of those situations where Tom says, if you hadn't pointed it out, nobody would have noticed. But I think it's funny. And I wish you know, there was video. <laughs> I I do lean towards that that uh, that 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 assessment usually. But the story became cool enough that I think it was worth pointing out because oh, now I'm imagining it, which dog? Moro. Moro. I should have guessed yeah. it was Moro. Bodega was, is much too dignified. To do no, that. she's so, Bodega is, is asleep on the floor next to me, very quietly, very mm, well behaved. Mm-hmm. Um, Moro is the energy ball. <laughs> that is, she's she's defending the house. Um, okay. From the scourge of of houseflies. Uh, this yeah. So I was going to say Kevin Hearn. Also, we had him on to talk about his new book. Gosh, I'm forgetting the name right now, but it's also about a repo man. Uh, I think it was a novella or a smaller, a smaller, a shorter novel um, that he self-published, his self-published book. He hadn't done too many self-published books. But anyway, so that's interesting. Um, I'm I'm I've seen this recommended a lot. So I'm looking forward to to checking this out too. So um, you said you settled on it, but I don't think it was a settling. I think that was a it was well, a, an excellent choice that floated I mean, to the top for you. I, I didn't mean settled to be pejorative. Uh, I mean, I, I looked at uh, the options and mm-hmm. picked one. That's, and felt comfortable. So you yeah. settled in with it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I didn't even realize yeah. I had said the word settled. I, I certainly didn't mean to disparage uh, the book, its suggestion, or its author. And I uh, retract my words and apologize. <laughs> I was not inferring that. Let's say you you landed on you landed on it. I picked it. I picked it. You picked you, it. You, you made a bunch it. of great suggestions that I picked it. All right. Can we stop parsing everybody's words? My gosh. You're right. What is it? Twenty twenty. Oh right, it is. Oh my gosh. Um. So exciting. Very cool. Uh, yeah. It's no. it's yeah. I'm gonna start reading this one hopefully tonight. I started reading it already. It's super fun. Uh, well done, Silvana and Trike. Uh, good pick. I'm enjoying it. And and it's light. It's light and fun. And light and fun, but not shallow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of books. <laughs> oh, really? Can that be the title? Can Speaking of Books I think it has to be. be Speaking of books. Okay. <laughs> uh, we are wrapping up 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. Um I, I have to admit, I'm I'm struggling a little bit because I I think I read this almost two months ago now. <laughs> um, so I got a little ahead of the curve. Uh, but I have to say, I just really enjoyed this. I, I needed this kind of book right now. It is, as we mentioned in a previous episode, it is just such a love story to readers and books. And dogs. And and dogs and the loving relationship between people and dogs and how comforting they can be just like books and how uh, they can defend you and be your your best friends and protectors that's right that's right you know i think i think um little more little more danger uh built in than than potentially um houseflies um but bad really does a pretty good job of of looking out for for january um and so I, I kind of wanted to go over to the the thread uh, from Colin about how do you like the ending? Because I think we covered a, a fair amount of the middle ground, mm-hmm, but if mm-hmm. not, we can we can touch on that too. Which uh, are, but means said, we should 
put a spoiler out there yes. warning. If you haven't read 10,000 Doors of January and don't want to know the ending, now would be a great time to stop listening until later. Now would be the yeah. time to stop, yes. Um, Colin says, uh, not wanting to hijack the general discussion thread, I thought I'd ask what people's opinion of the end is. My take on it, which I suppose may be considered minorly spoilerish, that's okay. Obviously, we're happy that our hero January has prevailed. But for my taste, there was just a bit too much happy ever after in the mix. I mean, she gets to be with the boy she finally decided that she did love and her faithful hound. She appears to have acquired some or all of Mr. Locke's wealth. Her parents are finally and happily reunited. Could things have been more perfect? I think I might have even have been happier without the epilogue chapter at all, leaving things a bit more to the reader's imagination. Man, you people. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, too, your book's too weighty. Oh, wait, this one had too happy of an ending. You're happy. You would have been happier if the character hadn't been happy. I just I, I just don't know. The kids these days. I like how Tom just folded his arms and leaned back into his chair. <laughs> I'm going to look down my nose oh, over my glasses days. at you, Colin. Um, uh, I, I mean, in this case, I have to disagree. I was really happy with the happy ending. <laughs> Well, let's hear from Seth. Seth weighed in as well and said, I think I would have been okay with a bit more of a bittersweet ending, but I wasn't too unhappy with it. It was important to me that the dog wasn't harmed any further. I was prepared to be extremely upset by that. But yeah, boy, did Alex E. Harrow play with our feelings. So I was like, you will know you are not. Okay, you're not, but it was really too close. Uh, Seth wrote, but having something else go a bit wrong would have been fine. So Seth's like, sure, Colin. Yeah, you could have made it a little mm-hmm. more verite at the end, I suppose. But uh, I'm with Seth. Like, I was happy. Like, it's not like it was unearned. It's not like, it, you know, she never had a challenge to go through. It was it was a well-earned happy ending. And so if you're saying you didn't want a happy ending, it's because you just weren't in the mood for a happy ending. Not that this happy ending was a particularly bad one, I think. And I, and I think that's fair for Colin to say in all, in all seriousness. It's like, man, I, I kind of wanted a more ambiguous gray ending. And and that's not what this book gave you. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Maybe you remember if this is going to continue on into other books or if it is completely standalone. Um, I don't remember, but I it, it, it just felt nice to have some some finality, some like completion, even though there was a little bit of a of a trailing epilogue, like what what might happen? Like, will he get his memories back? Will they be together after all? Um but I was happy that it ended and, and wrapped up. And, and you know, we, we read a lot of series or we, we have read some darker things in the in the recent uh, recent past. And for once, it just felt good to have the book finish and have the characters be in an OK place where I felt content to let them live their lives and happy that they, you know, got what they needed in the end. Um, Alexi Harrell on Goodreads, uh, in response to a question from Lisa said, I really didn't slash don't plan on this book being the first in a series, but there are a lot of ahem doors left unopened Mm -hmm. in a world of infinite other worlds. There's an infinite amount of room for other stories to slip in through the cracks. See, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So she's saying this was meant as a standalone. I'm not starting a series. But it doesn't mean I'll never go back to this world. Maybe I that will. world. Yeah. yeah. And I think that um, actually a number of people in the thread said that they wanted a little bit more out of the magic system. 
And so I feel as though going back into that world and potentially elaborating more on the magic system and and seeing what else it has to offer uh, could be a really interesting way of doing that without necessarily revisiting the same characters in that same original storyline. I mean, it is a whole, like, you know, worlds upon worlds upon you know, multiverses, I guess they're not, are they multiverses? They're just sort universes. Of, yeah, I think it, it qualifies because they, they they are each, I mean, we don't visit other planets in this, but presumably you go through a door uh, from Earth into another world and that world has a moon and other planets and like, yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I okay. feel like they're all in their own universe. I, I guess they they could all be in our universe, just in different areas of the universe, but that that's not right. made clear. So yeah, yeah, I can't remember because there were worlds where like gravity and and things behave. No, I don't remember, but there were worlds with magic in them. There, it was usually magical. It was usually yeah. described as a magical difference. Yeah. So then that would probably be not of our universe. I would think you never know. Magic is magic, but yeah. True. It's it left it left ambiguous though, yeah. Right, right. Which I think is kind of the fun part. It could it could uh, it could continue on in in super interesting ways. I think that's the other thing with Colin. Colin may be, and I don't mean to speak for you, Colin, but it, I think it's possible that you could have the same reaction as Colin because you want a series, right? Leave it ambiguous so so there's something for the next story. And if Alexi e. Harrow is like, nah, I'm not doing another one, or at least I'm not planning on it then she would want to close the door at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you, so you felt good about it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I felt like it was a great magic system. I certainly also could have used more about the magic system. I got enough, but yeah, I was like, this is a cool magic system. I wouldn't mind a little more in here. Um, I thought the character was fantastic. I thought her journey was well-earned. Uh, and, and she didn't have things easy. I, I mean, just look at bad. Uh, we thought bad was dead twice, right? Like bad didn't even have an easy journey, uh, and neither did January. So I, I thought it was a a really well told story and I enjoyed every minute of it. What about you? Yeah, I really, I, I wanted to keep reading it. I was excited to, to, uh, to get to the ending. I think one of the only things that did kind of stick with me and I'm, I'm trying to find who said this in the thread um but Yule Ian I like did was he so distant from January because he was heartbroken over aid and just needed to like that became his primary goal mission in life was to find aid or find out how to get back to his original world because he was, he seems like a, a very different person, like between what we learn about him and his and his kindness and thoughtfulness versus we don't really see that as much in, in the book when he is there at, in her childhood. I guess he did regret some of that. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I thought the book covered this really well, but maybe I'm yeah. filling in the gaps with my own interpretation. I felt like he was kind and he was gentle and he was smart. Uh, but when he got cut off from his wife, he was a distraught b mm-hmm. concerned with protecting january and c uh essentially a servant uh without power and so i think because he was so distraught at losing the world and didn't know if he'd ever make it back he felt like the best thing to do would be to just 
keep January isolated from all that. Right. And that is Mm -hmm. a typical Mm -hmm. thing, which is like, I can't protect you anymore. So I'm going to keep you at arm's length. So you don't get attached to me because I'm bad. I'm dangerous. I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, I have failed you and I I don't want you to get hurt again. And if you get attached to me, you'll get hurt again. Right. That is a very typical thing. Or I failed someone else in the past. I might fail you too. It's not explicit in the book, but that is, that is a, a characteristic, uh, that is quite common with human beings. And so I felt like that all came out back at the end when he had to apologize and say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I gave up. Uh, I was distraught. I should have never given up on you. I should have never thought you wouldn't come to try to find me. Uh, you know, I, and, and I I was like, okay, we're closing the loop on, on him. He, he just kind of fell apart and, thought he was doing what was best for January, given the circumstances. Yeah, I did. I did definitely get a little verklempt when they, when, when Julian and aid mm-hmm. reconnected on the dock or on the beach or wherever it was. That and that's was sort of that like, pretty you, great you got explaining to do <laughs> Julian. <laughs> yeah. I liked, I, I liked that very much. Um, and I was very happy for bad. I, I think I never, I never have to, I never like a story where a dog get hurt, gets hurt, but I do appreciate a story where a dog is also a hero. I, I find it, I kind of think that is one of the genius elements of 10,000 Doors of January is that she is able to give the dog a legitimate storyline, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're very forgiving of animal characters not having adversity, right? Because we don't want to think about that. For some reason, we're fine with humans getting beat up and stabbed and killed and all that. But man, you hurt a dog or a cat and people are up in arms, right? Uh, and I think what, what she did was she walked that line of like, no, I want to give bad just as good of a story as any other character here. I want some adversity. I want bad yeah. to have to overcome things. And and she was able to do that without ever, for me, crossing that line into, uh-uh, no, you don't get to do that with animals. I know. I was like, do I have to go John Wick on this shit uh, yeah, right, right now? Like, yeah. don't make me. Um, and then finally, I guess we, one of the threads that we discussed uh, last time around was the, like, Locke being such a great character. And I haven't gone back to see if the opinion there has changed. Um, but he does definitely become, I mean, you learn that he's essentially a a very extremely powerful being from another one of these universes right. and has been kind of pulling the strings all along. Um, do we think he'll, I guess, well, we know there's not going to be a sequel, so I guess he won't be back. But that was a pretty big triumph to, to defeat oh, this yeah. like an omnipotent being almost uh if you had told me this is the other one of the magic tricks that i think alexi harrow pulled off and maybe you disagree and think it's lame but mm-hmm. um if you had told me midway that like oh guess what locks from an, another planet and he's got magic and stuff i would have been like oh well that just you know undermines oh well, of course he ran the things and he was rich and all that stuff like i would have felt that would have made him a flat character but she was able to, you know, do what our friend Brian Brushwood says magicians do convince you two plus two is five and then reveal it's four and you're amazed. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and she did that. She convinced me that Locke was just a human and that everything he had achieved could have easily been achieved by any human of that time in that situation with that background, uh, and then revealed like, Oh no, but he is so much more. Right. And, right, and he's right. going to be a lot harder to take down than you thought. And, and it worked. It totally worked for me. 
I mean, I didn't see that coming at all. No. Like, I maybe I should have, but he seemed so mild-mannered in so many ways and subservient to some of the other members of the society that it was, I think that was a big surprise to me. It was one of the key th- reasons you make him a Victorian-era Brit, right? Is so that, mm. because that is a very... Mm-hmm. Victorian era gentry characteristic of the British Empire is to act humble to those below you. Like, you know, uh, and, and that's what he's doing this whole time. And you may, you don't really realize it until you find out more about him towards the end. Yeah. So still a very, a very complex, interesting character there yep. Um, yep. where he didn't necessarily have to be, I think, for the story potentially to still work. No, it would have worked. Yeah. It just, uh, it's yeah. another one of those things that adds depth and, and adds, uh, adds something good to the story. All right. Well, thank you everybody for, uh, contributing to the discussion. I hope you enjoyed 10,000 doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. Um, and as Tom mentioned next month, For the month of October, we will be reading Finder by Suzanne Palmer. So make sure you get that wherever books are sold. Uh, Note on Finder, if you are Mm -hmm. an Audible uh, subscriber, uh, it's part of the new free books. You don't have to pay extra for it. Oh, yeah. I've got zero on Audible. Maybe I should listen to the Audible version. Is it WhisperSync? Let's see. It is WhisperSync. So you can pay for the book, which is only eight bucks, and then get the free audiobook if you're part of Audible Plus. It's if you're paying for credits, you're now part of Audible Plus. I think that's right. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. It says free with Audible Plus trial. If you don't know that you're part of Audible Plus, but you're paying Audible, (laughs) then you're part of Audible Plus. (laughs) But it shouldn't ask me to free with audible plus trial because i already pay for audible are you logged in though if they may not yes. know anyway i'm gonna I, click I, it and see what I'm, happens i'm paying for credits and i downloaded it and then noticed it didn't use a credit i was like wait what oh okay yeah i wasn't logged into audible i was logged into amazon, amazon. but i still had to go through there the... you go that's that why it sense. didn't know that's all it was it <laughs> didn't know crisis averted Whew. all right thank you so much for listening everybody out there um, our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to everyone who backs our show. If you want to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. It's like a little sword and laser bookstore. Head on over to see some of the books we talk about and more at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at swordandlaser. And of course, you can always join in on the discussions at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Love you. Bye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!